Hello, everybody. Welcome to the BearCast Media Bengals Preview Show. I am Justin Cash from alongside Alex Frank, Preston Stober, and a very special guest today, Mr. Zach Swain. He's a contributor for Stripe Pipe. Thank you for joining us today, Zach. Glad to have you on. So the Bengals have a big one this weekend against the 5-1 Tennessee Titans. Alex, I know you have preached all week that you actually like this matchup against the Tennessee Titans. You think that they have some favorable matchups. Why are you so confident in the Bengals coming up? Well, why I'm so confident is and you watch the Titans on tape, and I figured this out. The Titans have given up 30-plus points to three of their six teams that they have played this season. Jacksonville, Minnesota, and Houston. Those three teams have a combined three wins. If you're giving up 30-plus points to those teams, there's a problem on the defensive end. Now, I'm not saying this Titans team is talented on the defensive end, on the defensive side of the ball. They're really not. Or, I mean, they are. They have great players. Jeffrey Simmons, although Jadavion Clowney, he might not play on Sunday, though. He's been on the injury report the last two days, has not practiced. Um, they do have Rashard Evans. Kevin Byard, Adoree Jackson. So there is talent on this defensive side. But when you watch them on tape, you see teams are able to move the ball against them. And also, and and when you when we think about the Bengals and what they've been able to do offensively the previous two weeks, say what you want about them. You know they haven't won a game since that debacle at Baltimore. But the thing is, like there is tangible progress being made. And it was talked about um, that, you know, Zach Taylor really had his best game as a play caller on Sunday. You know, after the Colts game where they scored 21 points in the first quarter and a minute plus, maybe not even a minute in the second quarter, they scored six points the rest of the game. On Sunday, they scored 17 in the first half, 17 in the second half against the Browns. So what that shows you is progress is being made. It's just, again, with this team, one thing gets figured out, another thing comes, another problem comes up, and it costs the team a game. But... I am confident that this Bengals offense with Joe Burrow, with Tyler Boyd, with A.J. Green, with T. Higgins, with Gio Bernard, even with three even with three backup offensive linemen, this is an offense that we saw on Sunday that is very capable of putting up points. And I do think that that is going to be what keeps them in this game. Yeah, absolutely. Although I'm not quite as uh, optimistic in this matchup as Alex is, I absolutely would agree with the fact that this Bengals offense can absolutely take advantage of some parts of this Tennessee defense, especially if Jadavion Clowney's not playing. And a lot of that does fall back on Joe Burrow, obviously, especially with Joe Mixon out. As that, that is also a huge hit to this, this game. But, I mean, if you look at the Titans, I mean, they have given up kind of significant points in a lot of games. And that is something that if, if the Bengals are to stay in this game, the offense has to play well. If the offense does not play well, the Bengals are the, – the, the, it's probably going to be a little bit ugly. But if the offense plays well, this could be a game – going into the fourth quarter. And I, like I said, I think a lot of that falls back on Joe Burrow. So we'll have to see what happens. But I do kind of like a lot of the aspects of this Bengals offense against the Tennessee defense. Uh, Burrow and Zach Taylor are going to have to start calling, like they did last week, more screen plays. They ran a lot of screen plays to Drew Sample. They ran them to Gio. They ran them to Tyler Boyd. And when you're having an offensive line that is as banged up as Cincinnati has, who's already been struggling this year, you're going to have to get the ball out of Burrow's hands fast. We know Tennessee, like every other team, is going to be sending blitzes towards Joe to try to shake him up, let alone with the offensive line being able to hold up against just their defensive line. They're also going to be have to be prepared for the blitz. So if Joe Burrow can get the ball out of his hands fast, 
and not get hit a lot this game, I think we could see a, a shootout. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. And like you alluded to the offensive line. Hakeem Adeniji, the Bengals' sixth-round pick this past uh, offseason, he's set to get his first start at left tackle in place of uh, Jonah Williams. And I don't think that he should really – I think he should feel confident going to this game because you talk about their defensive line, guys like Jeffrey Simmons and Jadavion Clowney, they com- they're combined for two sacks this year. Jeffrey Simmons has two of them. Jadavion Clowney has none. I don't think Jadavion Clowney is this elite pass rusher as a lot of people make him out to be. And so I think the matchup isn't as favorable toward the Titans as a lot of people might think it is. This offensive line is very banged up. Uh, Trey Hopkins is out there starting center. Billy Price is starting in uh, his place, who actually played pretty well in pass pro this past week. Um, And so I think that him stepping in, he was a former first-round pick. I still think that he has some talent. I still think he can prove that he can be a good offensive lineman for this team. And then you look at Fred Johnson, who's been up and down. He's had his good moments and his bad moments for this team, but he's going to start at right tackle this upcoming week. So I actually don't think that this offensive line is as at a disadvantage as a lot of people might think they are going into this week. And so, like you said, Zach, I think that they need to get the ball out of Burrow's hands very fast. But I don't think that he has to necessarily worry about this elite pass rush that people might think that the, the Titans have. But Burrow has to take these shots down the field because Mike Vrabel said today that Christian Fulton and uh, was it Dane Crookshank, two corners for the, the Titans, are both going to be out this weekend. So I think that the Bengals might be able to take advantage of some uh, down-the-field throws and some quick throws and some screenplays like you mentioned. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like When you watch the Titans on tape, they, 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 don't, they don't scare you based on their blitzes. They don't blitz. Now, against a rookie quarterback in Joe Burrow, they might, but here's the thing. If they if they do that, Joe Burrow, we have seen, can overcome a lot at the line of scrimmage. I mean, last week he was down two, li- two starting linemen in the second half. And oh, by the way, they were his two best offensive linemen and, Tr- and Trey Hopkins and Jonah Williams. And what does he do? 172 yards, no sacks, uh, two touchdown passes. And if it wasn't for the defense... He would. I mean, that would have been a that would have been a early career-defining moment for him. And I know he's not one for you know th- those kinds of um, you know, like career-defining moments. But at the end of the day, like you know, we have seen as much this offense is making progress. Joe Burrow is as well. And I think early on, you saw the potential that was there. Three straight three hundred-yard games from weeks two through four. Then he had that, you know, down-to-earth game against the Ravens. And here's the thing. You're playing in the AFC North, which is a division built on physicality and blitzing, particularly from Baltimore and Pittsburgh. But what's happened since then? The offensive line has played reasonably well. And Joe Burrow, as a result, has had back-to-back 300-yard games. He's got five. And yet I have Browns fans on Twitter saying to me, oh, you need to hold Joe Burrow accountable. You need to put some blame on your quarterback. I don't care that he's a rookie. Well, guess what? I do. I'm not going to blame a rookie quarterback. And you can say, well, he threw an interception and he fumbled last week. Yeah, that's those are called rookie mistakes. What did he do after that? Just asking, what did he do after that? Let him down the field. Yes, multiple times, too. Go ahead. I'd like to touch on the Bengals defense because they're going to have they're going to be facing arguably the NFL's best running back Derrick Henry and <laughs> the Bengals though they've not been playing Carlos Dunlap their defensive line is really going to have to step up and 
I'm not sure if Carlos Dunlap's been, you know, lowering the defensive energy on their side, but with him out of there, we'll see if the defense comes with a different approach to the uh, game. I absolutely agree, and I think that this is a game, if you look at it, obviously you got Derrick Henry, but I think if you let the Titans become a complete dual-threat offense, if they can throw the ball, and then they have Derrick Henry on top of that tomorrow or Sunday, that's where I think we can get in some real trouble. I mean, if you can limit them to just Derrick Henry, I mean, he's still, he, he he's, I mean, Derrick Henry's kind of insane, I'm not going to lie, but if you can take away their pass game, and let's look, I mean, I don't think the Titans, A.J. Brown is a, is a great athlete. I don't think they have as many weapons outside of Derrick Henry as it seems just because it seems like Derrick Henry is an absolute monster, but not going to take anything away from Derrick Henry. If we, we can limit them to a one-dimensional offense, I think that's how the defense is going to be able to get a lot of stops. Mm, I don't know. I, I, I want to agree with you there, but like, <laughs> first off, Derrick Henry, how good is he? He leads the NFL in rush attempts, rushing yards, rushing first downs, and rushing touchdowns. He is the best running back, as you said, Zach, in the NFL. Point blank and the period. And, but, but you're saying that they don't have any other weapons besides A.J. Brown. I tend to disagree. I look at the Titans, and they got Adam Humphreys, Johnny Smith, the tight end, Humphreys, Humphreys another wide receiver, um, Ferkser, forget his, um, Anthony Ferkser, um, their other tight end. This is an offense in Tennessee that is actually multi-dimensional, in my opinion. You watch them against Houston. Derrick Henry has over 200 yards rushing. That's what everybody's talking about. But people forget that Ryan Tannehill is throwing for three, through for 364 yards against the Texans in that game. First duo in the history of the NFL to have a player throw for 350-plus and rush for 200-plus. That's amazing right there. 600 yards of offense in that game. And this is a Titans team, historically, that is not at least in Tennessee, that has not had or has not been known for elite off an elite offense. It's always been, you know, ground and pound with your running backs. It was um, Lindell White in 2000, in the early, late 2000s. It was, um, it's been Derrick Henry the last few years. But as we have seen, Ryan Tannehill is in fact an elite quarterback. I'm ready to put him up there. I mean, you look at what he's done. He started now 16 or seasons worth of games for the Titans. He has more touchdown passes than Patrick Mahomes. And he's efficient, too. Like, the Titans, they, you know, on their passing plays, they average like 10 yards a play. I mean, they're not just dinking and dunking to Henry and Johnny Smith over the middle. No, they're going wide receiver across the middle, tight end up the seam. They're not, you know, a deep ball air. They're not a deep ball vertical passing team. But what they are is they'll get the chunk plays. It's basically the Cleveland Browns offense on steroids. Yeah, and it's no mystery that the Bengals have been very poor in rushing defense over the last few years. Um, Through seven games this year, they are giving up, uh, I believe it is, uh, where was I had it? I think it's like 130. They're giving up 133.7 rushing yards per game, which is 28th in the NFL. But you look at last week, and I know the Browns were without Nick Chubb, but Kareem Hunt is still a very elite running back in the NFL, and they only gave up, I believe it was 76 yards to uh, Kareem Hunt and 82 yards overall rushing. And so that's great. That's exactly what we wanted them to do. You wanted these young linebackers, Logan Wilson and Akeem Davis-Gaither, Josh Bynes, Jermaine Pratt, you wanted them to come in and stop the run because that's primarily what the Browns have been so good at. 
and we talked about putting Baker in uncomfortable throws, and he stepped up and he made those big-time throws. I mean, he finished with five touchdowns. And I know that Derrick Henry, Derrick Henry is in a league of his own, and I know that he's a fantastic running back, and the Titans right now are averaging 145.2 rushing yards per game, fifth in the league. But like you also mentioned, the Titans are multidimensional. They have a, they have a lot of weapons, but I think one of the more underrated weapons is Jonu Smith, their tight end. And you look at last week, the Browns, they utilized Harrison Bryant. Austin Hooper was out, and they utilized uh, Harrison Bryant, uh, their recent draft pick. He had two touchdowns. David Njoku had a touchdown. And so the Bengals were getting burnt by these tight ends. Jonu Smith is tied for second in the league for touchdowns by tight, by tight ends with uh, five so far this year. And so I think they're a very well-rounded offense. But I think something that's going to help with the Bengals is Zach Taylor is very familiar with Ryan Tannehill. He spent a lot of time with him at Texas A&M. He spent a lot of time with him in Miami in the very beginning of Ryan Tannehill's career. So I think that I'm not really sure. I don't know if that's more of a kind of thing that people talk about. That's not actually something that really helps coaches. But I think if Zach Taylor, he knows Ryan Tannehill's tendencies. I mean, you look a few years ago when the Bengals played uh, at home against Miami and Ryan Tannehill played very well, but then he struggled. And I think that's I think that's something that's going to help the Bengals, this Bengals defense because they're kind of familiar with Tannehill. But also on top of that, Zach Taylor is very familiar with Tannehill and he probably knows some of his tendencies. I'm not sure if you think the same way or do you think that that even helps really? First off, I think the game you're referring to was that game against the Dolphins in 2018 where the Bengals scored 24 points in the fourth quarter and won that game 27-17. to Yes. Uh, that was a great game. That was yeah, when the was. Bengals were... You know, four and one, and life was good with them. Um, um, the thing about that game is Ryan Tannehill, for as good as he was, the Dolphins only had one offensive touchdown that game, and that was uh, and that was in the uh, second quarter to Kenyon Drake, yeah. because they had a punt return for a touchdown as well. Right before halftime. Yes, their offense was not great that day. The Bengals outplayed them. The Bengals outplayed Miami that day. And once they got going, that was when they put the game away. Um, I do think that Zach Taylor, knowing a little, you know, having a lot of experience with Ryan Tannehill, can help. But the thing is, like, he's changed so much since he has left the Dolphins. You know, he's in an offense now with Tennessee and Arthur Smith, their offensive coordinator. That I was reading some of this yesterday that, you know, he's really good at, you know, designing plays to get guys open. And you're seeing that. And those chunk plays down the field to Johnny Smith, to Humphreys. Uh, we haven't even mentioned Corey Davis, who's now off the reserve code with us. He hasn't even played uh, since, I believe, week three. And you, you throw in A.J. Brown, who's one of the, you know, most at excuse me, one of the most physical wide receivers in the NFL. I mean, this is a tall order for the Bengals' defense. But can Zach Taylor, does he know enough about Ryan Tannehill from his days in Miami and Texas A&M to come up with a way to, if you do stop Derrick Henry and you force Tannehill to win the game by himself, which I do think he can do, can you find a way to limit him and completely shut down this Titans offense, which is easier said than done. Yeah, let's hope the Bengals can do that if they can stop Derrick Henry because Zach Taylor might not have to worry about Ryan Tannehill if they can't stop the run. They're going to have to focus on the run. Going back to uh, the Browns game, th that was the most we've seen them in the backfield all year. It seemed like they were stopping Kareem Hunt for five-yard losses, but 
they're the rushing the rushing seemed to be clicking that game. They've been getting the defense line's been getting more snaps together. Maybe that has something to do with it. They're still having a hard time pressuring the quarterback, obviously, but maybe they're getting more chemistry up there. And with the Titans, they are going, when you have a dude built like a lineman playing running back with one of the worst rushing defenses in the NFL, they will run it up your throat the entire game until you stop it. And we'll have to see if Cincinnati will be able to stop Derrick Henry in that Titans rushing offense. Yeah, and I want to jump into your point of uh, Zach Taylor kind of knowing Ryan Tannehill. I think that that always helps. I mean, that's always a help when you kind of know your opponent a little bit. The only thing with Ryan Tannehill is I think he's such a versatile quarterback. I mean, he was a wide receiver when he started at Texas A&M, I mean, at the beginning of his career there. I mean, he's a very versatile quarterback. It was a while ago, and he's in a new system. I think that he's changed a lot. I think that it doesn't help as much as hopefully it could. But I think that it, I think that it definitely is a help to know kind of his, um, you know, kind of his mojo and kind of what he does. I think that definitely does help, no matter no matter who it is in Zach Taylor. Derrick Henry, the, the way you play him is you don't try to tackle him low, because like you said, he isn't Zach. He is an offense. He is like an offensive lineman playing running back. Mike Tomlin, the head coach of the Steelers, called him a linebacker playing football because. He's six foot three, two hundred and forty-seven pounds, and yet he runs like a deer. I mean, who? Do you, I mean, that, that's who you're going up against a running back. I've never, haven't really seen that before. No, before. no. I mean, running backs these days are leaner than they were back in you know two thousand five. But I mean, here's Derrick Henry at two hundred and forty-seven pounds, and he runs the way. I mean, you watch that ninety, what, what was it, ninety-four yard touchdown run against the Texans in Week Six. That man, as soon as he hit. Uh, alert just came in that Joe Mixon will miss Sunday's game with a foot injury, so that does not bode well for us. Not at all. Um, okay, back to Derrick Henry. Man, that was going to be a great running back matchup too, Henry and um, Joe Mixon. But you don't tackle Derrick Henry low. You got You, you got to hit him high. Another thing too, it's like it, it takes two guys to bring him down. Like every one of the defensive line, Geno, Mike Daniels, Christian Covington, um, Carl Lawson, whoever whoever it is, you you know meet him. One guy, you know one guy meets him. The other guy comes in and finishes him off. It, it's going to be a team effort at the, at the defensive line to tackle him. And then if you get to the linebackers, you know can they stop him? Because that's what I'm saying is Derrick Henry is built like that, where it's not as easy as you think. Yes, linebackers are leaner too, but here's this 247-pound linebacker who's actually a running back coming at you. This is not going to be an easy challenge for the Bengals' defense. And we have seen running backs this year. Nick Chubb, bigger running back. Um, Who else have we seen? Uh, Miles Sanders had an okay day. James Robinson wasn't very good. Ravens weren't very good. Um, Really, Nick Nick Chubb's the only guy that we have seen completely destroy the Bengals defense however Nick Chubb um is kind of a similar back to Henry he's this big running back who can you know he can run downhill he's not afraid to go up the middle and meet linebackers and defensive ends and the Titans offense like I said it's the Browns offense on steroids they don't do a lot of play action maybe as Cleveland does and I think they can rely on their quarterback more than Cleveland does but it's still a very, very good multi-dimensional offense. 
Yeah, and the narrative for the Bengals the last few years has been missed tackling. And I think that's exactly what they tried to target this offseason, but it still hasn't really proved. They've still been pretty bad at uh, tackling. They've still had quite a few missed tackles. And what exactly is Derrick Henry really good at making people miss, breaking tackles? And that's a big problem. And especially, like you said, Zach, the Bengals need to get pressure. And I think that's going to kind of transition into our next subject. But you look at this defensive line, Carl Lawson, I believe, only has one and a half sacks on the season. Sam Hubbard is on IR. Geno Atkins is only getting 12 uh, snaps a game. He's doing uh, or dealing with a shoulder injury. Mike Daniels isn't going to get you, you know, a sack every game. You know, he's more of a run stopper. Christian Covington, he's played well. Um, and so I understand that you want to get after the passer, but you can't. You're just not able to with this roster that you have right now. And then when you trade away Carlos Dunlap, like we just saw him to the Seahawks, which I think it was time for him to move on, that's just even going to hurt them even more. And I completely agree with the trade, but I'm just saying that it's just going to really hurt this team because we're just not able to get out after the passer. Um, but I just wanted to talk now a little bit, kind of trans- transition into Carlos Dunlap. Um, so we saw him traded to the Seattle Seahawks uh, for a seventh-round pick which is actually from the Lions, and then uh, offensive lineman B.J. Finney, who spent a little bit of time with the Steelers, was with the Seahawks, and now with the Bengals. Um, kind of a good Swiss Army knife kind of guys, played guard center. Um, so I just want to get your take on this whole Carlos Dunlap fiasco and uh, the trade, and do you think it was a good trade, or do you think that the Bengals got robbed? It was time for him to go. Um, the I remember I was, he- I was listening to um, Paul Daner Jr., who covers the Bengals for the Athletic. Great, great writer, and he's a very nice man, too, if you ever have the chance to meet him. So he was saying that Carlos Dunlap is you know, kind of like that next guy from the Marvin Lewis era to leave. And what have we seen Zach Taylor do in his tenure so far as Bengals head coach? Who have they gotten rid of? Vontez Perfect, Marvin Lewis era staple, at least for the last seven years. Adam Jones, although he was gone after the 2017 season. But still, you're right, Zach. Adam Jones. Who else have we seen go? Um, I think those are, unless if I'm missing somebody. Yeah, that, yeah. I mean, H- him too. Not him t- too. I mean, also Clint Bowling retired. Yeah, Clint Bowling retired. Christian Westerman is gone. Yep. So what we're seeing is, okay, okay basically to your guys' points, it's not just on the, on the defensive end that we have seen Got, that we have seen guys leave who were staples of the Marvin Lewis era. Carlos Dunlap was that guy. And I was reading something earlier, I think it might have been from Ben Baby, that Mar- Marvin Lewis was you know, a 4-3 defensive coach, which allowed Carlos Dunlap to strictly pass rush. With Lou Anarumo's system, this is, you know, he wants him to drop back into coverage. Carlos Dunlap is not a guy to drop back into coverage. He's the all-time leader in sacks for the Cincinnati Bengals since they became an official statistic in 1982 at 82 and a half, 82 and a half sacks. And this man was just traded to the Seattle Seahawks. But I think, too, another reason why it's, it signals the end of the Marvin Lewis era is this. And that is Mike Brown doing an in-season trade for only the second time since, ready for this, 1985. 1985. 35 years. That's a long time. And you do two in-season trades. Two. And what that shows you is, because what happened under Marvin Lewis? Continuity. Mike Brown loathed 
trading players. I mean, that's why the Bengals got nothing for players like Kevin Zeidler, Andrew Whitworth, Leon Hall, Mohamed Sanu, Marvin Jones, Jermaine Gresham, because they all left in free agency. Reggie Same. Nelson. Reggie. I forgot about Reggie Nelson. See, this is why I had you on the show today, Zach. <laughs> Bring up guys like Reggie Nelson, one of my favorite players, who, of course, left because we didn't want to, you know, whatever. Okay? So, there was so much continuity under Marvin Lewis because Mike Brown, through the first 12 years, here we go again. We're transitioning this preview show into about the organization, but this is what we do here on the BearCast Media Bengals preview show, and that is, or really every show we do with the Bengals. Um, here we go. Mike Brown, first, what, 12 years? I mean, futility. Now, they did. I will give him credit. If the, if the head coach didn't work out, he got canned. But finally, Marvin Lewis comes in, and oh my God, reinvigorates the fan base, gets the Bengals to the playoffs twice, and then we're like, oh, we'll bring him back on a three-year extension, even after a 4-12 season. Because that's the great, that's, that's, that's the best thing to do, right? Well, okay. It's because they were so futile for 12 years that Marvin Lewis did so much, apparently, that Mike Brown thought enough of him to bring him back and not take a chance on finding another head coach. So there was so much continuity, contentment, and... Uh, comfortability. Preston alluded to the three C's last week. But with this, you know, yeah, we took a chance on this young guy who had never been a coordinator in the NFL on a full-time basis. Now he's our head coach, but we're seeing, okay, we're going to, we're going to, you know, keep, we're going to get his guys and we're going to get rid of guys who don't fit what Zach Taylor's trying to build. This is a double-edged sword here. We're sick and tired of hearing culture when there's not wins being produced. This trade right here is a testament to that Mike Brown values the culture that Zach Taylor is trying to build. And if you read the article that Ben Baby wrote this, or, or as Paul Dana Jr. wrote in The Athletic yesterday, this is a divorce that, that had been brewing for a year and a half. And now, after this loss to the Browns, this organization has hit rock bottom once again. And this is rock bottom. You lose to the Browns, they have the upper end on you. Five times in the last six games, the Browns have beaten the Bengals. It's garbage, quite honestly. I can tell you how I felt after that game on Sunday. That's another story. Uh, that's what this trade to me represents, that we are past the Marvin Lewis era of continuity, of contentment, and comfortability. We're embracing the unknown with Zach Taylor. It hasn't reduced much yet, and it stinks. Maybe it will. I'm not confident it will. But this trade right here shows that Mike Brown is valuing Zach Taylor and what he's trying to build here as far as culture is concerned. Yeah, I agree with that. And I feel like Zach Taylor, the thing we saw a couple weeks ago, A.J. Green looked like he said he, he kind of wanted to be traded. And that's where you lose the team right there. If, if A.J. Green doesn't come back and he has two pretty good games, you lose the locker room. If you lose uh, A.J. Green in that locker room, along with Carlos Dunlap, that team, the team's just going to fall apart from there. So luckily, A.J. Green has kind of bounced back, unlike Carlos Dunlap, and totally unfolding. So the Bengals are lucky in that sense, being able to still have guys like Tyler Boyd on board, what it seems like with Zach Taylor after Stomlin's, Giovanni Bernard. But who knows where the, that could have went if A.J. Green kept that same mindset that it seemed like he had. And these are the best players on the team backing Zach Taylor. You can, you know, you can feel however you want to feel about that. That is a win for this organization. 
Because last year, who was backing Zach Taylor? Drake Patrick. Mediocre players. Because they were, you know, here when Marvin Lewis was here. Drake Patrick, another example. See ya. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna I was just gonna agree with you guys. I mean, I think that I really like this trade. I mean, I think that uh, Alex, you brought up some really good points of like the on field play and how he doesn't really fit what Louis Anarumo and Zach Taylor are trying to do right now. But I think even more than that, just as you kind of you kind of said, Zach in the locker room. I mean, I think that he kind of he he was kind of going the wrong way, and the Bengals saw that. And we talked a lot about this on was was it Monday that we talked about uh like the continuation the the, the uh, um, yeah. contentment. Like, yeah, I mean, I think that that kind of was a statement to the fact that we're not going to be content. We're going to go out. We're going to make something happen. we got an offensive lineman. I mean, obviously, I mean, that's something that the Bengals definitely need. I mean, I really like this trade. I thought that this was a good trade. I mean, I think I thought it, it said a lot. And, I mean, I know we've had our, our ups and downs with Zach Taylor this year, but I think that, that that show that we talked about Zach Taylor a lot, we talked about how he it seems like he's losing the locker room. And say what you want about Zach Taylor. I mean, I'm not going to say that he's, the, he's the, absolutely the guy for sure, but... I think that definitely helps his case that he is kind of getting this locker room a little bit in order. I'm not saying it's perfect by any means, but I think that it's definitely getting back on the right track with, as you, as you brought up, A.J. Green. I think that was a huge thing. And then showing that, you know, if you're not with us, we, we're, 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 we're going to trade you. We're going to go our separate ways. And I think that that was a, that was a really good statement by the Bengals. Yeah, there's definitely something Zach Taylor is doing behind the scenes that's keeping his players with him instead of uh, falling behind a big veteran in a – Bengals fan favorite Carlos Dunlap so that just shows that Zach Taylor is at least you know controlling the locker room to a point yeah and see this is don't make cut you off there this is like this is goes back to the point I made you know everything in in sports and, and really in life it's a double-edged sword you can look at it you know from two different from two different sides and it's you know one day you're looking at it from this side and the other day you're looking at it from this side we we think about Zach Taylor and you know, he can't win a game. He can't even beat the Browns. I mean, he's done it one time in four games. Now, all those games have been competitive, yes. But unfortunately, in this league, you're judged by your by your wins and your losses. And Zach Taylor's career record right now is 3-19-1. It's not very good. He can win the remaining nine games that the Bengals have this year. And his record will still be nine games under 500, And you have to start 9-0 next year. Now, coaches who start as bad as Zach Taylor, there have only been two other head coaches in the history of the National Football League to start 3-19-1 or worse through the first 23 games. None of the previous, neither of the previous two head coaches made it to game 24. This is Zach Taylor's 24th career game. But on the other side, as Zach, you were alluding to, what Zach Taylor has done is, and this is a, I think, a remarkable achievement and accomplishment and it speaks to his ability as a coach and a motivator or whatever it is and that is he has controlled the locker room you think about all the losing that the Bengals have gone through I mean you look at what the Cowboys I mean they got players calling out their head coach you know saying that they need to simplify the playbook and that they don't teach that's bad right there if you have players calling out your head coach that is real bad okay and for a team that's supposed to be really good this year in the Dallas Cowboys teams who lose what you hear is you know heck you had, um, who was it on the New York Jets that was criticizing Adam Gase for saying that practice was quote-unquote too light? I don't remember. But there was a player who said that. If you have players calling out your head coach, that's not a good thing. Regardless of which side is right, if you have players calling out your head coach or any coaches 
That's a problem. And Carlos Dunlap was doing that. What happens? See ya. And here's the other thing, too. Mike Brown is not known for making statements in season. Last year when the Bengals were 0-8, the biggest problem I had was that Mike Brown said absolute nothing. Not a peep came from the front office. This year, Carlos Dunlap gets traded, and Mike Brown makes you know issues a statement. Not spoken, written, but still, it shows that he now is a little bit more active in season. And that's a that's a huge win for this organization. Because most teams, most teams owners, I mean, look at Jerry Jones, he's speaking to the media every freaking day. Look at other owners across the NFL. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, I can't name any specific. I, I feel like one owner I see all the time is the Falcons owner. They're Arthur Blank. Came on, yes. Came yeah. Yeah. Yes. He's almost too hands-on. <laughs> okay. But the point being here is Mike Brown making an in-season statement, whether written or spoken, that is a win for this organization. Especially in a, especially in a year where there was supposed to be an improvement particularly within winning. And there hasn't been that. Yes, they have won one game earlier than week 13 last year, but still, this is a, this is a very competitive team. I understand that. But, but, Zach, but Zach Taylor being able to control the locker room, and you have your veteran players sticking up for him. You have Gio saying, I just want to win. You know, we're, you know, we all feel like for, we're... For Zach Taylor. Yeah, we're all so close. That, I mean, that's... If you have your veteran player saying that, your eighth-year running back saying that, that is a sign that, okay, he may not be winning games yet. And believe me, we're all frustrated as hell. But he is controlling the locker room. Because let me tell you, if the locker room... If Carlos Dunlap had stayed, this locker room would have spun out of control. And it would have been literally the jungle. And you think about the game against the Jaguars. You think about that was the, our first one of the year, our only one of the year. And you think about after the game, Zach Taylor says, well, this game ball is going to Joe Mixon. And Joe Mixon gets the ball and he says, well, I'm giving it right back to Zach Taylor. And I think that while that is a small thing, I think that's just a microcosm of exactly how this locker room feels. The majority, I should say, of this locker room feels about Zach Taylor. And you talked about how Marvin Lewis went 4-12 and the one year, and then he got signed to a three-year extension right after and I think that just shows that this organization, this front office, Mike Brown and the Blackburns, I think they value consistency in the locker room and stable, just being stable, having a stable coach that the players like. I think they value that more than winning. And, I mean, we've clearly seen it because just like with other organizations, if a coach were to have as bad of a season, first season and a half as Zach Taylor, they'd be out the door more than likely. But with the Bengals, I, I can't see in the foreseeable future Zach Taylor getting booted. I just don't see it. And, I, and it's, it's always nice to hear Joe Burrow and Tyler Boyd and them say after a game, you know, we're, well, we're so close. You know, they're so close against the Browns. They're so close against the Eagles, Chargers, really any game this year. Um, last year, too. I mean, they had a lot of close games. And they, I think they know. They all know that they're right there. They're right on the edge. They just There's probably one or two things that they could probably change. Say they had a little better pass rush. Say their offensive line played a little better in a few games. I, I don't think you can argue that this offensive line has gotten better and better as the season has gone on. Bobby Hart just played the best game probably of his career against the Browns. Um, 
But also one thing about Zach Taylor is that Marvin Lewis never did, at least not that I saw. We talked about in-season trades. The first one since 1985, which was Dan, tight end Dan Ross, I believe, also to the Seahawks. And what have the Bengals done this year? Josh Chupo and Renell Ren, Ren, I believe, tore his ACL defensive tackle out of Arizona State draft in 2018. Uh, fifth round, he tore his ACL. Josh Tupo, who's had a pretty significant role as a defensive tackle with this team, he opted out um, due to COVID. And what did we do? We had DJ Reader. We acquired him in the offseason. Have Geno Atkins. We went out and signed Mike Daniels, who's been a pretty competent defensive tackle thus far in his career with the Packers and the Lions. Um, and then Mike Daniels gets hurt. And who do we have interest in? Damon Harrison. Ultimately, he decides to end up signing with the Seahawks, I believe. But it's nice to see at least that this organization has interest in big profile players. And then look at this. I mean, we just traded Carlos Dunlap, and they got B.J. Finney, who Zach Taylor admits that they've been actually been eyeing for quite some time. And so if you can get a guy out the door who's been a cancer basically to this locker room, and you can acquire a guy that you've been interested in for a while, a guy who's going to immediately help on this offensive line, He's not playing against Tennessee on Sunday because of the COVID protocols, but and then who look what else they just did? They signed Quentin Spain, who's been a very com, who's been a very competent left guard for the Bills and the Titans uh, thus far in his career. He got benched for I believe Cody Ford and Brian Winters um, by the Bills. I'm not exactly sure if that's uh, due to his play or if that's just due to other factors. I'm not sure, but he's been pretty competent thus far in his career, and he'll be active on Sunday. I believe Zach Taylor says he's just in a. Uh, more of a reserve guy. Um, still, we are seeing things happen in this organization that we have not seen in a long time. We are seeing guys get brought in, guys that are immediately going to come in and help. And we're getting guys that we've had our eye on for quite some time for a guy that's hurting this locker room. And we're going to get a guy that's going to come in and help this locker room and maybe even bring everyone in closer than what they already are. But and again, that that's the double-edged sword because you can say, well, we're, we're going to value, you know, having a tight-knit locker room over winning, which there is some value to that because sometimes teams who win, like you don't see the behind-the-scenes locker room breakouts, fights, whatever. Now, but the trade-off is, you know, the saying, "Hey, nice guys finish last." Hmm, yeah, I I do believe that to a degree, but you know, I I do think that you know if the chemistry in the locker room is there that it can lead to chemistry on the field. And I do think we are starting to see that, particularly on offense. I think Joe Burrow has the respect of everybody in the locker room. And he's had it ever since he came, you know, ever since he stepped foot in the building. You know, you hear Sam Hubbard and A.J. Green and uh, any other player, you know, rave about Joe Burrow's leadership. And it's again, it's not just his abilities on the field. We know who Joe Burrow is on the field. He's third in the NFL in passing yards. And he's going to be a top 10 quarterback maybe by next year. And he's only a rookie his first year. Yeah, yes. And not only, not only that, not only are we seeing that, you know, Mike Brown's trying to support Zach Taylor and his culture vision. But the other thing that, with Justin, what you're alluding to, um, by, you know, not giving up when certain players go down. Okay, we're going to be active. If this guy goes down, we're going to look and see who's available here. If this guy goes down, well, we're going to see who's available here. If this guy's being a cancer to the locker room, we're going to trade him and see who we can get and who we've been trying to, you know, lure over to our team. <coughs> Excuse me. What you're seeing in that, I believe, is that it's all going to lead to Mike Brown, when Joe Burrow is due for a contract extension, he is going to be willing to spend some money. Because Dan Orlovsky said this on ESPN the day after the, the Browns game last week. 
He pleaded Mike, uh, Mike Brown and the Spanos family in the, uh, of the Chargers to spend money to, to make sure that Joe Burrow here and Justin Herbert in L.A. Uh, fun fact, we play the Chargers here next year. That'll be a fun game to be at. Um, make sure that those two guys are here to stay for years to come. Preston? Yeah, I absolutely agree with, with everything you guys are saying. I mean, wins don't just magically come to an organization. I mean, that just doesn't happen. I don't care how I many. Just ask Browns fans. I mean, how many picks did they have? I mean, it has to be a, a change of culture. I mean, like as you, you talked about culture. I mean, that's huge. And just to go out and start getting guys, you talked about Justin. I mean, I think that says so much. And, I mean, I think this is, this is a brand new era at this point, like off the, off the Marvin Lewis uh, era. This is, this is basically a brand new era at this point. And we got Joe Burrow coming in. I mean, bringing as much hype as he had, and he's dealt with it. And, I mean, and, and he's played just tremendously. I mean, he, I mean, I'm the biggest Joe Burrow fan there is, and he far blew away my expectations. And I think that, that just this I, – I really like how it's going right now and this, this, just how this week has gone, especially coming off, as you've talked about, basically rock bottom in an organization. I like how the Bengals have handled it. And I think that, yeah, if you, can cha- if you can at least get a culture, as you talk about, Alex, I mean, you need a culture. You need something to back yourself. I think that th- it's, it's, it could go in a really great direction for the Bengals. I mean, and I, as you talked about, Justin, I mean, this team is surprisingly close to having a, a very good record. I mean, you would have no clue when you just look at the games and look at the record. But if you would watch every single game, th- I mean, it, it's kind of crazy how close this team actually is. So I think that this could go in a really good direction if we keep it going this way. Yeah, Preston, to add on to that, the Bengals, Zach Taylor and the Bengals are 1-12-1 in one-score games. That's, they're losing by eight or less points, and they've done that 12 times. It, when they are reviewing tape, that this is what they're telling their players. We make this play here, we win the game. You, you, you make two more plays, we win this game. We, we only lost three points. You make this play here, you make a play here, we win the game. That's how close this team is. And I also think that's also what's holding Zach Taylor in a little longer, is they are really close. And when they're looking over that film, it's got to pain the players just to see a play here and there to where they end up losing the game. And back on to Marvin Lewis, one thing we're seeing out of Zach Taylor that we hardly ever saw out of Marvin Lewis was he's getting... When things are going good, he's getting excited for that team. And the players like to see that, having a coach hype them up on the sideline, and it just gets everyone involved in the game. Yeah, because I remember the last year of Marvin. I don't know if you remember this. So we just beat the Dolphins. And the, I'm saying we because we're such big fan, Bengals fans here. The Bengals go to 4-1. and one. The Ravens lose to the Browns. The Ravens are in overtime against the Browns. If the Ravens lose that day, they go to 3-2. and two. Bengals go into first place by themselves in the division. And so you got a crowd of players watching the game um, in the bar by uh, where the Bengals come out of the locker room. And Marvin's basically you know, trying to get them away from doing that and tell them to get ready for the Steelers game. So what, I mean, look, there, again, there's a double-edged sword here. Yes, it's good. You're trying to keep the guys focused. You're trying to, you know, Okay, what, what happens with this team doesn't matter. But look, you're getting excited here because you have an opportunity to be in first place. And, you know, whatever. I mean, if you're trying to get them focused to, for the Steelers game, you, you sure as hell didn't do a good job at it because they ended up losing the game the next week. And what that showed was Marvin was never a player's coach. He never was. He was never a player's coach. Zach Taylor is a player's coach. 
And, you know, I, I get it. He's young. He's only, what, 37. He has never been a, he never been a full-time offensive coordinator prior to his arrival here in the Natty. But you are seeing his ability to unite a locker room in losing times, adverse times, is, despite his record, a notable, um, I wouldn't say, well, I mean, you could say achievement, but a great quality about him as a leader and as a, um, how do I say it? Yeah, just simply put it this way, as a leader. To get guys united, to keep buying in, to keep coming in, Every single week, through all the adversity, and still put yourself in a position, help put the team in a position to win. And you talk about players, players coaches, and you think about the team that are playing this week. Mike Vrabel was the ultimate players coach. I mean, you see videos of him pregame with the pads on, like warming up with the linemen, you know, like hitting them. I mean, he's a former player himself. He's a big dude, you know, and it's funny. You see him like... In uh, pro days with like, um, I can't remember if it was like Clemson or who it was. Either way, he was just like warming up with these guys and doing certain drills. And he's like the ultimate players coach. And you can tell that all those players really buy into Mike Vrabel's message. And that message is we're going to win. We're going to, we're going to, you know, be very successful. We're going to dominate the other team, especially on the ground game. And I think Zach Taylor's message is similar to what Mike Vrabel's is, you know, stay together, be together. Even in losing times, we're going to have success moving forward. And while they haven't, I think that that message has to stay the same. Because if you change your message, if your message to the team moving forward is changing every week, then the players are going to be like, well, I mean, is it this? Is it that? And I think having that stable guy in the locker room who's going to preach the same message every week. I mean, think about Zach Taylor. His wife's dad, his father-in-law is Mike Sherman. He's learning from very good coaches. He's he knows what it takes to be successful in this league from what he's hearing in his ear from his father-in-law, I mean, is my guess. Um, but I think the problem with the Bengals is, you know, one week they're down here, the next week they're up. And it's not necessarily like the whole team, but it's certain positional groups. And I think they just haven't been able to turn on this, you know, play at a consistent level the entire season. Like the defensive line might play great one week, the corners might play great one week, and then the next week they're, you know, atrocious. And I think that's just something that, they need to work on is being more consistent. And I think that's definitely going to help moving forward as long as Zach Taylor is preaching the same message and, you know, remaining, you know, the players are still buying into what he's saying. Yeah, adding on to what you're saying, Justin, the consistency is the key to this team. It, when they're on defense, it seems like either every time the opposing team gets a third down, they're converting, no matter how long it is, no matter how short it is. And then other times, it's really like, oh, is Lou actually putting something together here? Is the defense starting to figure it out? And then they just fall apart, just right in front of your eyes. And it's just like confusing to what is going on with the defense. Another thing, too, about Mike Vrabel is he comes into Tennessee, one of the youngest head coaches in the league. And the Titans are... I believe three and four through their first seven games. They lose a game to the Chargers in London where they went for a two-point conversion after scoring a touchdown. They were down seven, scored a touchdown, so all they needed to do was kick the extra point. They decided to go for two. And there was, you know, Mike Vrabel was not, um, he was criticized for that, you know, decision. The Titans go nine and seven that year, just barely missed the playoffs. The next year, they're two and four. And 
Marcus Mariota benched for Ryan Tannehill. They went 7-3 and three the rest of the way and then won two games in the playoffs. Mike Vrabel has built a very strong culture in Tennessee. And not only that, Mike Vrabel, you think about him, he's been uh, defense and special teams throughout his career. This is a guy who was a uh, linebacker for the Patriots under Bill Belichick. Fun fact, though, he was a weapon. Seven catches. Or how many catches did he have in his career? Someone pulled that up. Real Mike Vrabel? Yeah. It was like the majority of his catches were touchdowns or something like that. Yeah. Uh, let's That's, I mean, and yeah, it's that, for, it's that player in him that, um, it's that player in him that still comes out as a head coach. Let's see. He had um, 10 receptions in his career for 14 yards and 10 touchdowns. Oh, my. So every, <laughs> so every reception was a touchdown. I mean, how great is that? I mean, that is it's about as good. That's a hard thing to do. It's about yeah. as good as it gets. As a being, linebacker. It's being efficient. But what I'm saying is it's like Mike Vrabel has built that Titans team into a great, great culture down there. Now, we haven't talked about this yet. Um, Taylor Lewan, the Titans starting normally starting left tackle, out this game. Torn ACL, yeah. Yes. He's out for the season. I'm not saying this Titans offensive line still isn't good. It is good. I mean, they got guys like Roger Saffold. Um, I'm losing. Um, ben Jones. Ben Jones. Nate Davis. Yeah. This is a good offensive line. It has to be for what Derrick Henry's been able to do. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I mean, and it, 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 you look at the Titans. I mean, they have, they've always been a, a, a good franchise. I mean, they've never been in the dumps. They've never really been the top of the league, but they've always been kind of, you know, somewhere in the middle. And what Mike Vrabel has been able to do is get a culture. I mean, and you talked about it at the beginning. I mean, he had a good first year. I mean, he went 9-7 and seven just with the playoffs. He was able to really get a culture, and that's something that I think the Bengals really need to look at. I mean, Zach Taylor really needs to look at. I mean, what Mike Vrabel did is, I think, what the Bengals are trying to do. I mean, I think I think that's really where it's at. Now, then again, um, Zach Taylor's coming off a one and or a 2-14 season, whereas uh, Vrabel was coming off a 9-7 season, so it might have been a little bit easier for him to do. But I think that it is maybe it is very similar um, and it, to set a culture than, as to what Mike Vrabel did. And I think with this game is the Titans just lost a close one against Pittsburgh. You know, they were in it until the last minute. They were getting blown out, and then they really came back, and then I believe they intercepted Roethlisberger had a chance to take the lead or tie it up. I, I wasn't watching Koskowski the game. Koskowski missed a 45-yard field goal in the last minute. That's what it was. And, you know, the Titans are coming into this week. And I'm sure Mike Vrabel preaches the same thing every week to this team. You know, we're going to play the sa- every team the same way, hard, physical. But it's always, as much as coaches might say that, I don't think that necessarily this team is going to come into Cincinnati and think, oh, well, you know, this is going to be a really tough game. We might get dominated, you know. And it could be a trap game, honestly, for this team because if you take this team lightly, this team will take advantage of your secondary, this banged-up secondary. Frankly, they have two uh, corners out. Sorry, three corners out, or two out and one questionable. Uh, Christian Fulton and Dane Cruikshank are out, and then Ty Smith is questionable. So Joe Burrow, I think if he plays as well as he has, I think he could really take advantage of this banged-up secondary. And this could be a big trap game for the Titans because I don't think they're thinking coming into Cincinnati and you know they're going to get really you know played hard but the Bengals have played every team they've played this year very hard 
and I don't think the Titans are going to be any different. And I think it, I don't know if I think the Bengals might win, but I think it's going to be actually a closer game than what most people probably think. The Titans this week are playing their only road game in a span that goes back to week four that goes all the way to week 11. This is, as Justin, you alluded to, an ultimate trap game. They're coming off a loss to Pittsburgh. I'm not sure where their heads are at. The Bengals are coming off a tough loss to the Browns at home. The Titans have suffered their first loss of the season. Are they going to respond? The Bengals are used to losing. Sadly, they're sick of, or actually I should say this, they're sick of losing. Something has to give. Back to what Justin was saying, that the Titans do have to be careful here because as we've seen with Joe Burrow, he's coming off a 400-yard passing game. And if the Titans aren't you know, careful on defense, Joe Burrow, if he has enough time, can easily light up that secondary and it could easily turn out into a shootout. Yeah, and I mean, I think we touched on this a little bit before the Ravens game, but and it really it didn't work out then, but... What do the Bengals really have to lose outside of a blowout? If they get blown out, obviously you never want that. But if they lose this game, oh, one of the best teams in the league just beat the Bengals. You know, I mean, <laughs> it, you really don't have a whole lot to lose. Go in there, play like you don't have a whole lot to lose. I think that's kind of what they're preaching this game. I mean, you got Joe Burrow, you got weapons. I mean, and we talked about it. I think there's a couple of really good matchups. There's really nothing to lose if you're the Bengals. Now, if you're the Titans, you're going in thinking. We can't lose this one. This that'd be a disaster if we lost this one. Maybe you're forcing it a little bit. Maybe some things, you know, not quite as natural. Maybe you're playing a little bit not to lose. You know, when you start playing not to lose, that's when you really get in trouble in a football game. I think that that could really come and play a little bit for the Bengals if they want to make this a game. I think you know, there's nothing to lose. Just go out there and, and play. I'm gonna sound off here. So my first regular season game that I went to as a Bengals fan was on November 25th, 2007 against the Tennessee Titans. Bengals won, the Bengals won that game 35-6. to Carson Palmer threw for, um, he completed over 80% of his passes. Chad Johnson had three touchdowns. One of which Chad Johnson decided to celebrate by uh, moving the CBS end zone camera onto himself. That was his celebration. Sounds like it. <laughs> it was. And of course, nine-year-old me doesn't think too much about what the Bengals front office is like. The Bengals won a game they looked pretty good. What could be better for a nine-year-old kid like me, who loved the Bengals? Sunday will be the 40th Bengals game I ever attend. The Bengals' last playoff win came on January 6, 1991, against the Houston Oilers. They are now known as the Tennessee Titans. That's who the Bengals play on Sunday. So my first regular season game was against Tennessee, thir- almost 13 years ago. Now my 40th game is against the Tennessee Titans. And this organization, their last playoff won in 1991. And what, what has it been like since then? Feudal. Mike Brown comes in as ownership in 1991. Becomes the owner in 1991. This organization has hit rock bottom after now losing to the Browns. They can't even beat the Browns. They've hit rock bottom. The lease is up in 2026, but we have our franchise quarterback in Joe Burrow, our Lord and Savior. This game on Sunday is potentially the turnaround. Or it could be where this franchise ultimately hits, again, rock bottom. 
going into the bye week at 1-6-1. and one. What will happen? That is the question. I'll offer my score prediction right now. I do think this game will be very close. I think there will be points galore in this game from both sides. It could be a potentially high-scoring game. But in the end, I can't completely trust Lou Anarumo in the defense. Titans 33, Bengals 30. Um, so, as I was doing a little research before this, and the Titans only have a combined seven sacks on the season. That is tied for the second worst in the entire NFL. And their leader is Harold Landry. Um, no, sorry, I believe it's Jeffrey Simmons with two. Um, so this team is not proven to get after the passer. If this offensive line, who this combination of offensive linemen have had zero starts together, can put together at least a decent game plan, and I actually think the Bengals are at an advantage because with Gio Bernard in the backfield, he has proven to be a great pass blocker for uh, pick up the blitz, pick up the uh, free rusher for Burrow, and I mean for Dalton throughout his career. And I think the Bengals are at an advantage because as long as this offensive line can play competent against a lackluster defensive line that the Titans have and Gio Bernard can pick up the blitz, I think Burrow's going to probably throw the ball 40, 50 times. And with the banged-up secondary of Tennessee, I think that's going to play very well for Burrow. I think it's going to play very well for this offense. But like you said, I'm just not sure if I can trust Lou Anarumo in this defense. Um, you know, this high-powered offense of the Titans is hard to handle. I mean, we've shown that even the Steelers' defense, the best in the league, had a lot of trouble stopping them. So I think the Bengals, as much as I really think that it's going to be a close game, as much as I really think that they have a chance at upsetting the Titans, I'm right there with you. I think it's probably going to be probably like a 40-35 to 35 game for the Titans. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of going that same route too. I mean, I think that uh, I think you know the Bengals are going to come out and they're going to be you know what, what do we have to lose? They're really going to start firing. I think there's going to be a lot of offense in this game. I think maybe it's it's a close game somewhere in the third quarter. I think the Titans begin to pull away and the Bengals come back a little bit. I'm going to go Titans 41, uh, Bengals 31. I think the Titans kind of pull away a little there, little bit there in the fourth, but I do think this is going to be a close game. Yeah, I'm. I'm going with around a higher scoring game, too. I, I'd probably say Titans win 38-33. That, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking it's going to be a shootout between two good offenses. But don't be fooled. I really do think that this game is going to be close. I don't think that anybody's coming in and thinking that the Bengals are going to even, you know, they're just going to be playing catch-up with the Titans. But I think that the Bengals are going to put together a great game plan, just like they did against Cleveland, just like Zach Taylor has shown that he can. In a few games, but I think he's going to really string together a few good games, play calling. I think that Burrow's going to have some really good success. It would success. not shock me if the Bengals won on Sunday. Yeah. And it would be a monstrous momentum-building win for this organization. Any final thoughts? Well, we all have the Bengals losing, unfortunately, but we will see. We all think it's going to be a close game. Um, we'll see on Sunday. I don't know. I mean, Alex, you'll be there. so I you, will. Um, but everybody, this is the BearCast Media Bengals preview show. Alongside just, or I'm Justin Cashman, alongside Alex Frank, Preston Stober, and Zach Swain. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you guys on Monday.